Greetings, little one. Are you a good witch or a bad witch? Bad witch! I'm not a witch, I'm your wife! What makes you think she's a witch? Well, she turned me into a newt! A newt. What's thou like to live deliciously? Got better. Dost thou comprehend? Welcome to Real Magic, the podcast at the crossroads of real witchcraft and Hollywood magic, where paganism and the supernatural meet their reflections in movies and television, and where we talk about what real magical or life lessons we can learn from fictional witches from 100 years of moving pictures. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too. Hello there, witches and weirdos. Welcome to episode eight of the Real Magic Podcast. And how and I can I just say, now is the time and now is the hour. Ours is the magic, ours is the podcast. <laughs> I'm your host, Jessica Mason. Happy Yuletide season. I hope you're all having a great pre-holiday season, or if you're listening to this on your holiday break, happy holidays. I am so excited for this episode today because it's a movie we've already talked about some on this podcast, but it's the first time we're truly digging into it. We're talking, of course, about maybe the most influential movie in witchcraft in the last three decades, if not ever, and that would be 1996's cinematic masterpiece, The Craft. I'm so excited to talk about this because I don't think there's any movie that's been more influential on us, both in good ways and in bad ways, and some of the perceptions that people have of witchcraft. But I'm really excited to welcome my guest today, and her name is Maria de Blasi, Dr. Maria de Blasi, by the way. She is a native New Mexican Matsitsa blogger, a multi-award winning writer, and a multi-award winning educator living in New Mexico. She teaches classes on the Legacy of Witchcraft. She's a published author, and she's just an amazing person who I was so excited to talk with about the craft and about witchy media in general. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Maria about the craft. It is better that you should rush upon this blade and enter the circle with fear in your heart. How do you enter? With perfect love and perfect trust. It is better that you should rush upon this blade than enter this circle with fear in your heart. How do you enter? With perfect love and perfect trust. All right. Welcome, Maria, to the Real Magic Podcast. I'm so excited that you're finally here. You've been, you've been a great supporter of the podcast, which I'm very grateful for. Yes. Well, thank you so much. I'm, I'm so excited to be here. Um, this was my first semester teaching a, a legacy of witchcraft and popular culture. And when I saw your podcast start, I got so excited and had to share it with my students immediately. And and just show them like, this is what we're talking about. This is some great stuff here. <laughs> yeah. And so before we get into like the movie we're going to talk about today, which is The Craft, tell me about this course you're, cha- you're teaching and what you do in the academic and witchy communities. Yeah. So I, um, I am full-time faculty at a community college in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, that's my hometown. 
And there I teach, you know, English courses, everything from tech writing and college writing to literature and creative writing and digital storytelling. And then I teach part-time at University of New Mexico's Honors College, where I teach courses like um, the legacy of witchcraft and popular culture, or I look at uh, romance, how we talk about sex, love, and uh, courtship in media. I teach, uh, next semester I'm teaching a course on occult detectives. So, you know, the, the long history of uh, monster hunters before Buffy and Sam and Dean. So they're sort of my, my passion project classes. And then when I'm not doing that, um, I am a writer and I write about uh, everyday magic. Uh, my first book, Everyday Enchantments, uh, Musings on Ordinary Magic and Daily Conjurings came out a couple years ago. And then um, next year, I'm really excited because I just got my copies in. Next year, my second book is coming out and it's called Practically Pagan, an alternative guide to magical living. Oh, so, fun. I yeah, love all so, of this. I want yeah. to audit that class, by the way. Like, Thank you. Please do. Come join. I love the idea of supernatural detectives. There's there's a great short story that Neil Gaiman wrote. It's called like A Study in Emerald. And it's like <gasps> fanfic. And it's like Sherlock Holmes meets H.P. Lovecraft. And it's like, it's fanfic. It's great. Yes. And I've taught that cl- that uh, story in, in this class before. And it is so fun. Um you know, supernatural detectives are, are one of my true loves along with witches. Um, and yeah, so, so I, I read all that. I practice all of that. Um, I, I talk about, you know, my particular witchy craft uh, practice is uh, brujeria and I draw from, so I'm mestiza and that means my cultural background is indigenous, Latinx and white. Um, so it's very, um, you know, the, the mixed race. and eclectic. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, eclectic. And so part of my practice is about, you know, curanderismo, which is like the folk healer, uh, folk magic of the Southwest. Um, it pulls on the indigenous roots, what I can access from it, and some of the Latinx stuff as well. So um, some of it, it of my practice is ancestral, and the other stuff is just daily things that, that um, I pick up as I learn more about what helps me heal and be happy. And then a lot of it is also, um, it's about pop culture too. You know, I'm, I, my practice is, as you've talked about in your podcast, right? It's, it, it's very much informed by popular culture as well. And the kind of stories I read about witches that, that resonate with me. Yeah. And so like the thing I always like to ask my guests is who was your first like witch that you loved as a kid or growing up who like made you believe in magic Oh my God. Okay. So I knew you were going to ask me this question because I listened to your podcast and I was like, it's such a hard question for me. Um, so I really thought about it. So I was, I was privileged enough to grow up in a household that was already, um, pretty, you know, woo woo, hippy dippy into new age and kind of natural spirituality. So I kind of grew up always surrounded with that. And then I read a lot of fantasy books, you know, Lord of the Rings, urban fantasy, all that stuff. Um, And then, you know, there was Bewitched. We grew up watching Nick at Night. Um, Same, same, yeah. Craft one night late on TV. And it was like the spookiest, like I'd never seen a show like that. And it felt so edgy and oh my God. And then um, Practical Magic made me feel like, you know, women are magical. but interestingly, 
it wasn't really until, so I've, so I'd always kind of felt kind of magical and kind of witchy, but it wasn't until I saw, this was years later, the TV show, it's a very short lived show on Lifetime. It was called The Witches of East End. I've heard of that. I've not seen it. Okay. Um, and I'm going to sound like a bad English professor here, but I actually thought the TV series was better than the book it was based off of. <laughs> yeah, this, the first season was spectacular. I know, edgy opinion there. Um, but I, I started watching it when it first came out. I had moved home, finished my doctorate, got full-time work at the community college, um, got a nice apartment. And it was like the first time I felt like I could really breathe and be a human being and explore my identity outside of surviving graduate school. And it was just such a fun, like cheesy, soapy, paranormal romance show that really reminded me of how much I loved practical magic and all those things. And that kind of resurrected my more explicitly witchy um, ideas. And it's, it's just a show that it's about like a group of women and they're magical women, but they're not saving the world. They're just really powerful and working through day in, day out stuff. They have a gorgeous cottage core home. Um, they have the perfect small town that they live in and they work out all their soapy drama. So for me, that was the moment where I was like, yeah, I wanna focus more on this witch stuff. I wanna focus more on this magic side of me that has nothing to do with my profession. Like now's my time for my emotional and spiritual side. So that was the show that got me to reconnect with all the earlier magic. Um, and that's when I started blogging, actually. I finished my first semester of full-time teaching and started blogging about everyday magic and haven't looked back since. Awesome. And I know I need to check out that show. There are, you know, I've, like, I'm a devotee of all these witchy shows. There's still so many I haven't gotten caught up with yet. And I need to catch up on, like, the new Charmed. And I need to catch up on a discovery of witches. And now I'm like, okay, gotta have episodes about all these. Come on. <laughs> I know it's it's fun it's a good uh it's a good rabbit hole to go down <laughs> oh yeah and there's just so many there's just a lot of great witches out there but we're talking about like sort of the you know avengers of witchy movies which is the craft it's yeah. like from your perspective well first off my I don't think I need to summarize the craft because if you're listening <laughs> to this podcast you've seen the craft but if for some reason you haven't if young girl named Sarah, teen who survived a suicide attempt played by Robin Tunney, moves to LA and runs, becomes part of this like coven of high school witches part played by Feruza Balk and Rachel True and Nev Campbell. And things of course go terribly wrong because it's a movie and they use their magic rather irresponsibly on all sides. Right. <laughs> and then like girls end up trying to kill each other and you know, we talk about and how we get into all that. But yeah, that's the craft. So where, what is your relationship to this movie? And when did you see it? And how did it affect you? It was, um, so I, I remember seeing it when I was younger. So it came out, was it 1996? 96, yeah. Okay, yeah. So I was like maybe 10 or 11 when it came out. And I remember seeing it, it was one of those movies that came out like on HBO and you're kind of like watching it and the parents are asleep and the kids are hanging out. So it came out, I probably saw it when I was maybe like 12 or 13, once it had gone um, to TV. And I remember thinking, 
I have never seen a scary movie like this before. <laughs> I was like, it's seductive and it's fascinating and it's so cool. But then it also gets really scary at the end by the way the women like turn on each other and the magic gets out of control. Mm -hmm. um, I love the ending where she drops the tree branch to yeah. basically let people know she's all powerful and draw a boundary. Um, but it always stuck in my mind as like, well, like I've never seen young women front and center and all powerful in a story before. Um, and then I hadn't seen it for a while until I went back and started watching it again for the class I was designing, the witchcraft class. And now seeing it through this lens, I was like, wow, this was like Instagram witchcraft before there was Instagram witchcraft. Like Definitely. The, the gorgeous opening scene with all their crystal balls and candles. And I was like, that's like a thousand bucks worth of materials right there. Like, yeah, no it's like it's that great open scene where they're like, you know, now is the time, now is the hour, ours is the magic, ours is the power. It's very like aesthetic completely pointless <laughs> like if you're looking you're like what are you doing you're gonna kill like I of course I saw it um I was around I guess I'm older than you I'm, I was around 13 when I saw it and saw it many times and I definitely caught my hair on fire at certain points trying to like emulate that because there's just a lot of flames in that opening scene but it's so there's such a great aesthetic to this movie like just oh, yeah. the look of it is so great opening scene where they just like you don't even see the witches they just pan across the crystal balls and all these like you know candles and witchy paraphernalia and it's just like wow that is gorgeous like I want yeah. that <laughs> um I wanted to be Farisa Balk in this movie when I was growing up like as a teen I had like her she has this vinyl leather like we're pleather like you know short trench and I searched for that and I found a coat that was almost like that so it was my Nancy coat and it was you know definitely didn't make me fit in super well in my school but it was like no I can be, emulate Nancy and so I just loved the look and the fashion and the individual looks of these girls was and so they, great. The way they made their like Catholic school uniforms or you know their fancy school uniforms look like edgy I was like that's awesome. Yeah so it was very very punk rock and I remember apparently the scene where they're just like walking through the lunch room and it's like um letters to cleo's playing that's one of the earliest scenes they shot to kind of give the studio and the producers like this is the look of our film this is the vibe and so that sort of set the tone for the whole movie they shot it really early in the in the process so that sort of set the tone for the look i didn't know that that's awesome yeah but so we can talk about let's talk about i like to talk about like the accuracy of a movie versus is it entertaining? Because, and I think that especially for the time, no one had ever seen a movie like this that portrayed a version of actual witchcraft in a way that was even close to accurate. That's why it was such a big hit with all of us in the 90s who were just discovering witchcraft. And suddenly it's like, oh, there's a movie now. It's not quite there, but it's really close. Absolutely. So, so I think some of the, the practices and, and the fact that they made up their own um, kind of spiritual entity to call down to, right? That's, that's kind of the movie magic. But I tell my students, some of the core like witchy principles really hold up over time. Like um, the kind of golden rule, be careful what you put out there. Um, yeah. I don't want it to come back on you. Um, even, you know, I was rewatching it today and the scene where 
I think it's Sarah. She she invites the Manon or the you know the, the universal energy, however they want to yeah. call it, into her, and that that kind of moment of surrender. And to me, I was like, well, that's kind of what it's like. Like she's not doing, she's not able to use ritual, so she just kind of calls on it herself. And I was like, that is kind of what it's like to call on those energies and just surrender to the universe. Um, so that felt pretty realistic to me. Um, the way they talk about the elements and balancing the energies. I, I was surprised that for a 90s movie, it really, <laughs> it really held up. It really does. And like definitely the elemental stuff, they take a lot of, you know, real witchy things like the perfect love and perfect trust and initiation with the knife. And oh my God, her knife was so cool. I also wanted that knife. And the chalice. Um, oh, the chalice. Yeah. And again, I went, uh, in that scene when they go off mm-hmm. to the woods with the, you know, we are the weirdos, mister. I don't see any of them carrying backpacks. I don't know where, where they got all that <laughs> stuff they that they're suddenly... Again, they have all this stuff and they've got wine and it's magic. It's and, magic. <laughs> and very unsafe needle and blood sharing practices. Yes, yes. Oh my gosh, for real. Yeah, I remember I had to do some like bloodborne illness training for work like forever ago. I'm like, oh God, and now I'm flashing back to the craft and how wrong that was. I know, I know. They're just like not, you know, they're just using the knife willy-nilly and it's like, hmm, turns. Yeah, yeah, let's just Great. share your, your finger blood with your drink of your sisters okay then <laughs> exactly that's uh you know that's which yeah. they're wild there, I, but i do like your point about how she finds like sacred space and power in with she she doesn't need to do all the ritual she doesn't need to be in a temple she doesn't need to be in a circle she kind of surrenders to that energy and that's a really important practical message for our own magical practices so you don't necessarily need all the bells and whistles and knives and everything you can just be there with spirit exactly and I you know as I tell my students because they got very very interested in in this form of spirituality so a lot of the class like jump-started a lot of their own explorations into witchcraft oh, that's so cool yeah it was really cool and um so I talked to them you know about one of the things I talk about is in my own writing and my own practice is um I don't you know if the kind of Instagram worthy uh, witchcraft with the beautiful, you know, the chalice and the gorgeous Athene and all of that, I was like, if that works for you and that helps you channel your energy, that's great. But you also don't need any of that. Like you just need yourself and like a deep breath, (laughs) you know? Um, So a lot of what we think of when we think of magic is actually pretty um, everyday as I call it, you know, it's pretty mundane, um, but that doesn't make it any less powerful. Yeah, and another thing they say in the movie that's, you know, a phrase that is from magical practices as above, so below, and that's the idea of connecting the material to the ethereal. And so for some people, you do need all the ritual and the athame and everything, but that's just a reflection of something much bigger and much more powerful and magical that's you can't see and you don't need you don't need a special crystal to get in touch with it. But if it helps you, that's great. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and the other thing they talked about too is like the way they described Manon. And I don't, I don't actually know if I'm saying that correctly. <laughs> it, it, it's Manon. And I only know this because okay. after like 20 
four years oh my god it's an old movie now um i finally watched it and i put on the subtitles for the first time ever because because they pronounce it like 18 different ways i thought it was like menil and but it's like it's manon manon okay yeah we'll get into manon but yeah Yeah. go ahead but like the way they describe him is like if god and the devil were playing football yeah and it's like it's it's the sky it's the trees it's all of this and i was like that's you know, even though they gave it an imaginary name, that's actually a really great explanation of talking about like the universe or that kind of numinous energy. Um, you could call it God, you could call it the devil, but it's really all these things mixed together. Yeah. And I was like, that resonates. Yeah. And like different names get to it in different ways and different practices get to it in different ways. And you know, we can even talk about like the way, like for me personally, when I cast a circle and you know call the corners and that sort of thing I still use the phrasing from the craft because it it works for me it's what I grew up as a teen repeating over and over and that became ritual for me it became almost a sacred text because it has that resonance for me even though it was something made up in a movie and derived from all this other stuff well and I um like I'm a huge proponent of story magic which is, you know, I think the things we read and watch, they are their own forms of magic and they do inform us and nourish us in those powerful ways. I mean, I, um, (laughs) there's actually, it's funny you brought this up. There's, um, there's something in the Witches of East End where they're trying to clear out dark energy that's coming their way. And I just remember the way the auntie in the story kind of deals with it so anytime I'm having to clear out of negative energy in my life I kind of think of her (laughs) as I'm like you know smudging my house or doing what I need to and it's so interesting that the way those stories stick to you or anytime I pull out my jar of herbs you know I'm I'm right there in the practical magic kitchen thinking about you know the things I can make and the power I have to create things yeah there's a spell that I use that I think I adapted from like season one of charmed that's another like energy clearing and it's just for one that's like it rhymes and it was easy to remember but it's like no matter where these stories come from they touch us and like you said it's the numinous stories are themselves magic and we can definitely touch something divine through them even if they like just as anything else it comes from human beings but it touches something much bigger and universal and i think that's why people connected so much with this movie because it kind of, even though it's an imperfect movie in a lot of ways, it really touched on that. Oh yeah, and I'm I'm sort of like a huge proponent of loving imperfect things. Like even though, so I talked about Witches of East End, but you know, it's got a lot of flaws. Like they, they've got the whole like, uh, you know, kill off the minority tropes and some things that are right, like, yeah. lifetime, you gotta get it together. Um, second season is like super shoddy, which is probably why it didn't get renewed. Um, but I'm also like a proponent of looking at the kind of historical and social context something was produced and honoring, um, you know, how just how radical um, a story like the craft was for the 90s. I mean, without the craft, there'd be no Charmed or... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there wouldn't be Charmed. We wouldn't really have like Buffy as we know it. I don't think we... We wouldn't have, you know, I think Practical Magic came about two years after the craft. Yeah. And so much came from all those things. It's, you know, it's a cascading ripple effect. And 
the I don't craft. Think any CW uh, supernatural? Yeah, not at all. At all, without the craft. <laughs> you wouldn't have like definitely wouldn't have had Buffy as we got it without the craft in some ways. So we, I mean, I guess the original Buffy came out before, but Buffy the way like they really brought in like their their uh, abuses of Wicca and Buffy were I think way worse than practical okay. magics okay. or uh, the crafts. Um, but they, they kind like, of maintain that goth aesthetic of the craft because that wasn't super in the in the movie. Yeah, no, um, they really definitely changed. And it was also like L.A., that kind of goth L.A., sunny but goth aesthetic definitely yeah. came in there. But also, like you said, it was definitely revolutionary. A lot of people at the time was like, like it's like bewitched meets clueless because we had no other context for this movie. Because, a whole lot darker. <laughs> yeah, because it was like, okay, it's schoolgirls in L.A., I guess you could say it's connected to clueless but there weren't a lot of other stories about just women where the men are largely like props and victims which is so yeah. refreshing in so many ways and, it, and you know one of the things i really loved about the movie is the issues each of the characters in the coven were going through um they were they were real issues i mean they were they weren't fully addressed in ways they could have been but it was, um, I even remember when I first watched it, you know, what back when I was a youngin, um, just thinking like, whoa, real people and real stuff they're talking about. Like, yeah, like there's body image and suicide and mental health and class and race. And it's, again, it's not fully explored as much as it could be, but it's there at least, which is a step from nothing. So I'm always like appreciative, like I'll take a step rather than nothing. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, you know, like, of course, there's been lots of discussion about how mistreated Rachel True was on the show and continues to be in terms of um, erasure, her, her character Rochelle, and, and that's all true, but, um, you know, I look at it and I'm like, for, for a 90s show or a 90s movie, that's it's pretty radical that that was out there. I'm, I'm more critical of shows today that were perpetuate tokenization and erasure because I'm like you have so many more resources and you know better yeah this was 1996 it's 2020 now you have no excuses back then that was a trailblazing role you know yeah Yeah, and what a great I mean let's talk about the cast because they're all really wonderful in a lot of different ways um Rachel True, who is now still like, she's got her True Heart Tarot out. She's really like a part of like the pagan community now, which I love. I love so much, yeah. And Nev Campbell, who is like, really like, this is one of her first roles, but she kind of went on to become sort of like, I think Sc- she and Skeet Ulrich were both in back-to-back this and Scream. Oh, that's right. <laughs> so it's like, they had a pretty good run for there in the mid-90s. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's interesting because all those actors feel so distinctly 90s um like even one of the side characters I forgot who the actor's name is but he was in Clueless Breckin Meyer yeah 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 you see all this crossover and it's so um yeah so you just feel the nostalgia of the 90s right away yeah and um then we have Feruza Balk who is just like a witchy legend I she's got the most amazing look for to start off like her her that her mouth is just it's so unique and her acting is so unique but she'd already been in like two really witchy movies or before this she was in the worst witch which is such a hammy 
wonderful movie and I will definitely do a whole episode on the worst witch at some point yeah and how Harry Potter ripped it off entirely (laughs) yeah yeah it's I I think people you know they look at Harry Potter as so revolutionary and then there's all these things where you're like "Eh, yeah it's like it was that it's speaking to and building off of I mean even Neil Gaiman is like I for I think it's called books of magic but it's like about a young boy who realizes he's a wizard and it's I mean it's a much darker story but yeah Harry Potter was like Roald Dahl plus Star Wars plus the worst witch and there you go exactly Um, but then Feruza was also in um Return to Oz which is a (laughs) terrifying movie but it does contain witches but also traumatized a lot of us as children (laughs) I saw like a little clip of it. Um, someone posted it on one of my social media sites, and I was like, "This is terrifying! Like, I, it, I can never watch this, even as I, an." Adult. I think my parents like rented it for me when I was younger, and like just the initial—we're going off a tangent here—but just like the initial like first ten minutes of that movie, she's put into a mental institution and subjected to electroshock therapy. Oh my it's god! Not a kids' movie. It's horrifying. <laughs> That's terrible. So, yeah, like, so Farouk has been some really terrifying, but very good movies. And so, but she's so perfect in this role. And I, like, I wish, you know, she hasn't had, you know, her, her career sort of faded after the early 2000s. And you know, she, don't, but she definitely was also, you could tell that she was like into this, that she knew what she was doing. And you could, like, she is just like one of those people who, like Stevie Nicks or I don't know who else, Angelica Houston, like they're witches, even if they're not <laughs> Yeah, identifying as witches their 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 energy was super strong yeah you never got the sense that they were actors playing a role yeah yeah but we can talk also about like let's talk about then robin tunney as sarah um matt aaron uh who's author of psychic witch he's on twitter he has a he had a really good thread a few months ago like saying what if sarah is the villain of this movie oh my gosh (laughs) and i i read that i'm like and yet it was pretty well thought out because Sarah comes in there and she's not really, she definitely thinks she's above these other girls who are far more, you know, she's got mental health issues, but they're far more marginalized than she is in the school. Yeah. And then she comes in and sort of takes over and then she kind of treats them like garbage and sort of looks down on what they're asking for, even when she's the one who's using magic to manipulate and overcome the will of another person. And that's like, she's got the first really icky use of magic. And she's she's kind of playing both sides. She's working with them, but she wants to be in with the cool, cute guy and all this stuff. And it's like, yeah. And the and the other because because I heard you mention this theory on your podcast about the legacy of, of the craft legacy or whatever. And I it blew my mind. I think it's phenomenal because I started thinking, you know, she's also the only natural witch in the group. Hmm. And I started thinking like, oh. Well, what a great example of privilege like exactly born with it um you are naturally entitled to it and if somebody has to work for it or um has to learn how to be a natural witch well then they don't they're not allowed certain privileges and I was like oh my god and you know I talked with my students I was like in in many ways I see this movie as like how not to be a coven you know that should be oh yeah title um and, and we could talk a little bit more about that, but I said the one problem with the coven breaking apart is that it's all the more deeply marginalized 
people who aren't allowed to have power you know the the black woman the um the uh not conventionally pretty one yeah conventionally pretty pretty one um nancy calls herself white trash you know it's um it's all these things where it's like oh you're not allowed to have that but because i look and present a certain way even though i have a history of mental illness and suicide attempts I'm allowed to have this, but you guys aren't. So it's it's definitely a problem saying marginalized identities shouldn't have too much power because it'll go to their heads. Yeah, it's really interesting because yeah, it is a great example of privilege and how she gets uncomfortable at the moment when Nancy starts having more power than her and she's not comfortable not being the one with like the most quote unquote privilege at a certain point. And again, like she's the first one who uses magic to really manipulate a person at what, and cause like she makes this guy fall in love with her and it gets into the, the, the ethical waters of the craft are very murky because for one thing, like Sarah, why, why do you want this shitty guy to like you? I mean, there've got to be other boys. I know the cast is small, but there have to be other boys in the school. I know Skeet Ulrich, very cute. But it's but, like, especially after he, like, publicly humiliated her. Yeah. It's like, why do you still want this guy? And then like she goes on a car drive with him. I'm like, why? Like, you know he's not in his right mind. Why are you spending time with this guy? Yeah. Why would you cast a love spell on him after he, you know? And that's, like, a, a million movies of, like, why are you pining after this guy who's obviously a piece of garbage? That's just, I mean, that's a lot of actual people have that problem, too. <laughs> I mean, so, I mean the- It's realistic in that way. (laughs) I drink of my sisters and I ask to love myself more and to allow myself to be loved more by others. Especially Chris Hooker. (laughs) I know it's pathetic. It's definitely pathetic. (laughs) I drink of my sisters and I take into myself the power to be beautiful outside as well as in (laughs) I drink of my sisters and I take into myself all the power of my own I mean, they're, when they're in that, they go to the forest and they're kind of casting their first spells or wishes. You know, it is very human. It's very like, I want to feel empowered. Also, I want this guy to like me. I know it's stupid. You know, I want to yeah. feel inside and out. Um, I want to figure out how to deal with terrible racist people. <laughs> you know, it's like, I want a sense of agency and power. Yeah. And it's like, what... You know, what Bonnie and Rochelle and Nancy ask for is really like ways out of their, the shitty parts of their marginalization. Like Bonnie wants to no longer be terribly scarred by a horrible fire. That's valid. And Rochelle wants to deal with like this racist piece of bleach fond shit. Um, The actress who eventually married Ben Stiller, which is always weird. I know, it's so weird. I'm like. Yeah, she also feels very 90s to me, although I know she's been in other stuff. But Did you ever watch the show on Nickelodeon, Hey Dude? Yes. She was on, yeah, she was on that. And so, I think her name was Melody, and so I will always remember her. I know, hey I was going to call her Melody, but I was like, I'm pretty sure that was her character name and not the actual actor's name. But, and so like, Sarah's the first one to be successful, 
and then we get like Bonnie and Rochelle and it were and eventually we're like we're supposed to feel kind of sorry for Laura Lizzie because she's losing all her hair I'm like I don't know if I feel sorry for the shitty racist girl like yeah yeah, I don't know if I'm supposed to I want to feel sorry for her but whatever I mean it's showing that there are consequences and then like you know Nancy yeah maybe sort of kills someone but they also kill a guy the first time they're hanging out together and that's never addressed again I know so so one of the things when I was rewatching this knowing that we would talk about it I think I was more surprised by the level of like boundary issues. Like, first of all, you have that kind of rando guy. I think he's supposed to be like, he's portrayed as homeless or someone from the streets who's has the snakes and he's following Sarah around with some sort of weird prophecy or thing he's seen. And they all just kind of look at him and kill him. Like he just gets run over in the street and they all treat it like it's super amazing. And not a huge problem and so to me I was watching it and I thought wow that's like the first boundary violation like, yeah, oh. like, you're like, valuing human life very much right here. and again it's like another marginalized identity some sort of street person or whatever and he's just kind of written off and it never comes back to that and then yeah when when Sarah makes that I want him to love me and they all think it's hilarious that he's you know Uh, super into her now and then Nancy I didn't so much mind that they that she like killed off this predator because you had a sense that he had a history and he did this to multiple women yeah he was an abuser and he was like sexually violating her it's like you know what yeah you can die that's fine and great you got life insurance get your mom that awesome awesome couch awesome Condi Francis yeah. jukebox which i i would definitely I, I applaud that <laughs> mom yeah so when so when she gets rid of him and the stepdad you're like yeah that's total empowerment he needs to go it's like um the sisters in practical magic getting rid of that guy it's like yeah he's abusive. Yeah. he's your magic he needs you he know, needs to die yeah. space. that's fine uh, but when she crosses that line with the teenage kid to me what was so weird about that scene is the way she like how predatory she's become and not that she killed him but that she like does all this weird non-consensual stuff with him before she does yeah which she literally has to become sarah to do so she's again assuming sarah's kind of privilege exactly and but this is again (laughs) and again this is after um he has attempted to rape sarah yeah it's like a very harrowing terrible scene and again i'm like I'm fine with him being thrown out a window. Sure. Like, awful rapist, Skeetle Rich. Like, exactly. And it's like, and Nancy it's, wants to make out with him. And that's like, that's when it gets into like, oh, the girls just want the, the same guy. They're fighting over this boy. It's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. And also like, like, don't, don't become the sexual predator here yeah. either. You know, because that's so much of like one of the underlying currents of the story is like, um, women taking their power back from trauma either you know sexual assault or you know nancy with her abusive family life it's like but then she kind of turns it and she you know crosses that sexual boundary with the guy knowing he's uncomfortable and you know i talked to my students about the scene and i was like he's a garbage person yeah let's get rid of him like i'm happy with that i was like for me that was the turning point with nancy was like 
why did you have to do the weird sex stuff with him beforehand? <laughs> it's like, yeah. you could have just said, I'm coming in. I'm new, you know, like I'm getting rid of you done. Mm-hmm. And she had to kind of like, um, she was like a cat playing with a mouse. For yeah. A and I mean, right? there could be like a POV where she's like, she's violating him right back the way he tried to violate Sarah exactly. and then it gets out of hand. But like, there's no heroes in that whole like triangle because exactly. he's a rapist and they're both, and they're both doing non-consensual things to him. It's no one is, comes out good. Yeah. And, and to me, it's one of those things, you know, the movie, the love, Witch is a lot like this where, um, I, I tell students kind of the dark side of the witchcraft stuff is that it can be, you know, people can use the magic without um, really dealing with trauma or things they need to deal with on a very like deep level. So I think what happens is these, these girls start, um, they start using magic to fix everything. And they, so as a result, they start losing their sense of like boundaries, like what's healthy, what's consensual and like, oh, this guy, well, he doesn't have feelings, even though he's a total creep, like we hate him. It's like, I can cross this boundary. I can do this. Like this won't have consequences for me. I can just do magic and it'll be okay. And I told them, you know, I was like, the danger with that is pretty soon they start becoming the thing they were trying to escape or the thing they were trying to protect themselves from. Yeah. And I think that, um, one of the things that like that's this is good in both this movie and the craft legacy is those are things that teenagers would do like yeah, teenagers are dumb it's harder to take that in this movie because everyone looks like they're 30 yeah. um, like i love this cast but not a single person in this movie actually looks like a teenager yeah. um, i think rachel true was like 29 when she shot this um, and it's she looks amazing. she's not aged since then she looks amazing yeah, yeah gorgeous but, but like the newer cra- the, the craft legacy it's a bit easier to like buy yeah how stupid they are at certain points because like okay they're idiot teenagers but this one it's a bit you forget that very often in this movie well and one thing I would love so this is like my kind of fan fiction fiction alternate rewrite of this hey. <laughs> yeah I love fan fic, so go for it yeah yeah okay uh is I think you know part of it is they are kids. So they are having, they are making real wishes that we might make. Like, I know that guy was a dick to me, but I really wish he would just like me and be a nice guy. Yeah, when you're a teenager, you definitely want that. Yeah, like I would like to go back to when I thought he was actually cool. Um, I want to punish that person who's mean to me, like mm-hmm. super relatable. So my fanfic rewrite is like, because <laughs> they've all violated boundaries in different ways. And I think, the rewrite would be that they all kind of recognize, whoa, we're messing with things we didn't quite realize. And we did some things that are now scaring us because we didn't know. But now we can figure out how to safely and ethically use our powers and still be empowered and find uh, healthier solutions to what we're working through. Um, yeah. And keep the coven together. You know, my, my goal is that they go to the witch at the shop that they steal from and go to her for help. And she's like, yep, also I knew you were stealing from me, but uh, I was being cool because I knew, you know, you guys were hurting and needed to explore stuff and I'm going to take you into my ring. I'm going to teach you how to be ethical and balanced and stable. Yeah, I really wish they had had like more mentorship and elders, which is so important when you're actually approaching magic, even if you're just 
finding other people to talk to. It is important. Also like doing your shadow work and getting, you know, confronting the messy, hard parts of yourself that, you know, a lot of magic and working with a lot of deities will ask that of you. And it's not just all, you know, fun and games, even though that's often what you want when you're a teenager first approaching it. Well, and I think that's the whole crux of the movie is basically the that coven of witches, they didn't do their shadow work and it kind of imploded because suddenly all these darker impulses were at play and what started out as innocent fun got really dark really fast. Um, Now, again, if they had a good mentor, they would have said, okay, I understand. You didn't know any better. So there's a little bit of like, I can help you. But if you do it again, knowing better, then that's a line that you can't come back from. Yeah, which again, wouldn't be a terribly interesting movie, unfortunately. I know, yeah. sad. It'd be yeah, great like, to series. <laughs> yeah, like I really want a craft TV series. I keep coming back to that, especially after Craft Legacy with the way, you know, spoiler alert, um, you can skip, you know, three minutes ahead or something. The Craft Legacy ends with the main character in that movie is Nancy's daughter. And you see Nancy at the end and I just cried. I was so, cause like to finally see her free and released in a certain way was really powerful for me because the way this movie ends with her like locked up and disempowered, really rough. But I'm like, so from like a feminist and like pro women, pro everyone getting along and pro witchy point of view, the last third of the movie is really goes off the rail. But from a movie making point of view, it's really good because it's very yeah. scary. <laughs> It is. And, and I also, so this is something I also tell my students. So, so yeah, from a witchy perspective, the way it treats like sisterhoods as like dangerous and women with power as dangerous, yeah. identities as da- with power as dangerous, like that's super bad. But one way to read this um, movie is I tell them, you know, we have tons of great examples later on about positive magical sisterhoods. So the coven is a really great example of what not to do. And in terms of speaking of like shadow work or the dark side of things, it's like, (laughs) I joke with them. I was like, I've seen plenty of like yoga covens and different things implode like this. (laughs) So I'm like, this is a really great real life cautionary tale so that when you do form your own covens, you can be very aware of like how to have like inclusive, um, supportive, circles that nourish individuals and communities um, but that aren't about power grabs or um, ousting someone who doesn't have the opinion you want them to or whatever I was like um, because that that does happen if people start using magic or the coven for the wrong reasons it becomes really unbalanced really fast yeah like it's a fairy tale like don't do that (laughs) and magic that you know oftentimes you will do some sort of spell or magic that you're seeking to deal with an outside something that's agitating you or annoying you and the spell will kind of turn around or spirit or deity or working with will be like you know what you really need to work on it ain't out there yeah it's it's right there I'm you know sure your your spell is like okay you want a new job but how about we make you think about why you're not getting along with this person at work how about we make you think about what, you know, and, it, and then that sort of stuff manifests in your life in such interesting ways. Like suddenly you'll start seeing, you know, like a movie comes up on your Netflix or whatever over and over again, the 
that's exactly the story you need to hear to learn that lesson about yourself. Yeah, those synchronicities are so powerful. And, you know, I always say um, there's a great romance book I, I read that features a witch and we read it in my class. It's called uh, Take a Hint, Danny Brown by Talia Hibbert. And um, it's one of the most authentic um, representations of like a modern witch I've ever seen. And the scene opens, she's calling to um, her goddess, her goddess Oshun, she's, she's a black witch from the UK. Um, and she's calling for a fuck buddy. <laughs> so she's like, I really need a fuck buddy. Um, I don't want a relationship, but I just need someone. And I talked to my students and of course all this stuff happens. So she ends up in kind of this fake relationship situation. with this oh, Some of my favorite tropes all here. Like I know. Sex, I know, sex to love, fake relationships. Oh, yeah. such good, such good tropes. Um, but she ends up in a fake relationship with this person and it ends up being, you know, love and all of this. And I said, this is a really great example of how the universe works. You ask for something and it might not give you what you want, but it'll give you what you need. And yeah. if you wish for something and you're like, why isn't it happening? Um, or, or you put a spell or you, you're trying to manifest something and it's not coming through. I was like, that's the universe or whatever energy you want to call it saying, nope, this is not your path. And I'm going to make this really hard for you until you get with it. And then I'm going to send you a bunch of signs to get you back on the path. Yeah. And sometimes you'll be like, fine. Okay. It's like my, my five-year-old is just like giving up. Fine. I'll go to bed. But it reminds me of like one of my favorite uh, jokes. And I use this actually in in a fanfic I've written. It's about somebody like questioning their faith and spirituality. It's that great joke about like a man is dying and he's drowning and he's praying to God, please, God, save me, save me. And like a lifeboat comes along. It's like, okay, guy, get in. He's like, no, no, God will save me. And then he drowns and he goes up to, you know, St. Peter and God. So he's like, hey, why didn't you save me? And God's like, what did you think the lifeboat was for? <laughs> exactly. And so it's like, you got to be able to recognize the lifeboats and those synchronicities and those. And do the work. And, yeah. You be a passive um, acceptor of, of energies. <laughs> Yeah. And I think for so many of us, you know, when we were discovering magic in like the early 90s, like this craft, the craft kind of came into our lives as almost one of those synchronicities or it was one of those movies that sort of awakened a whole generation of witches. Like for me, I was already like, I had been like reading Scott Cunningham and I'd wanted to be like a witch as long as I can remember because I watched Wizard of Oz and Sleeping Beauty and suddenly this movie was there like saying, no, no, you can do this and you will look so cool. And yeah, you will have a posh wardrobe and a goth aesthetic. Yeah. Well, and it, it felt um, so fresh and new. It was very much, you know, so different from Bewitched and some um, even witches of uh, Eastwick, the 80s movie. It's like it felt like contemporary teens, people you would know only a little more glamorous because they're all 30 like you said yeah all this money um but it felt real it felt like this is what a actual practicing witch would look like yeah and I think it it influenced the aesthetic still it still is influencing the aesthetic even now I feel like that and practical magic has like they both have far far reaching um yeah, aesthetics. <laughs> like, like literally today, I saw a tweet that's saying, you know, real girls don't want a man they want, or women don't want a man they want the house from Practical Magic. And I'm like, oh, I literally had that conversation with Firelight in our episode about Practical Magic. <laughs> It's so true. And like one of the reasons why I fell in love with the TV series, you know, which is a Beastwick, which was so um, 
soapy and revitalizing for me in a lot of ways was that it reminded me of practical magic. I was like, oh, wow, it's another like supportive, loving, like matriarchy, sisterhood, gorgeous home. Like you just want to live in that, you know, they're beautiful kitchens. And, you know, I tell my students when we watch uh, that show, I was like, really, it's for many people, it's probably like a forgettable show. It's might not end up in the canon, but it is like living proof that the practical magic legacy continues. Like there would be no show about, uh, there would be no Witches of East End if there had not been practical magic. Yeah. And like, again, that gave us practical magic and Charmed both. I mean, I remember watching Charmed the first season and it came out um, same time as Practical Magic. And again, direct result of the craft existing and then charmed and buffy and then once again those lead into like my my show which is supernatural which sometimes is heart garbage i will will acknowledge but supernatural had such an interesting perspective on magic because magic is not inherently evil in that show it's just a tool and anyone can use magic and when somebody uses it for evil they've got to be you know the winchesters are going to take you down but they use as much magic as anyone well, and I think the power too of thinking about, yeah, that energy, it's God, it's the devil, it's all these things. Um, it's the, this way I tell my students, like, it's the intention you put behind it. And there's plenty of things that I would, that people think are like good magic that I would be like, eh, I don't know, because it's crossing um, consent boundaries for me. Because but, yeah, like some love spells, like you see in this movie. Spells. Yeah. Or I really want to force a certain outcome in a social situation. And it's like, eh you're moving into like manipulating people and that is like even though it's technically like light magic I'm like eh, no <laughs> like even then they get into this more in like the craft legacy but like even like binding magic or banishing magic is also like that's a, you know a magic that definitely pushes somebody away and can have negative consequences if it works the way you want it to and mm-hmm. you have to accept the you know karmic consequences of that as well yeah yeah and it's um that that magic isn't neat or clean it's it can get quite dark and yeah interestingly like dark isn't always bad either like yeah you see that sometimes like you got to go to the dark place (laughs) yeah you got to go to the dark place to get rid of the bad thing and that is completely great yeah so I started thinking of all these ways I could have resolved the craft in a like, yeah, magic is scary and powerful, but how can we stabilize our coven? And yeah. and so I started thinking about those issues of consent and like, what could have they have done to like deal with that racist, <laughs> like, racist melody um, that wasn't just such a, uh, you know, I'm gonna like a child thing, like I'm gonna get you back and make you suffer, but more of a what's a systemic change or like a permanent change that would not only you know protect me from her racism but also like have far-reaching effects so it wouldn't yeah. people. just wow. again something they do in an interesting way in the sequel where right. it's like instead of like making this guy kind of fall in love like he gets woke it's like okay that's interesting <laughs> like yeah. sure and um see well so what is else there you know do you have a favorite scene in this movie i think the one that always like sticks with me it's not really my favorite but the one that's sort of most legendary is like just the final scene with all the bugs and the snakes and the rats and the they set a record for the amount of bugs used in a movie <laughs> oh really oh yeah. my god and so that's it was so terrifying and... oh it's the scariest part of the movie for sure 
Yeah, and and every time I watch it, I'm also on my like twelve year old, thirteen year old brain seeing it. So I remember how scary it was. Like the fingers turn into snakes. Like that's still a great effect they do there. It's like she's been completely isolated and cut off. And watching it around this time, I thought, you know, it's so interesting if we're thinking about toxic covens and how those can kind of unravel and become unhealthy if if people aren't um, doing their shadow work. You know, if they aren't working together, Mm -hmm. shadow work. I thought basically they're turning their their worst fears on each other like when you're that close with someone you know their greatest strengths but also their greatest weaknesses and their fears and I was like they totally just used all that yeah to try and crush Sarah but Sarah also does that with them in other ways as well again that Uh, sort of feels pretty authentic to teenage girldom sometimes yeah exactly (laughs) it's like we're best friends now I hate you now I guess (laughs) yeah now I'm gonna use your biggest fear against you exactly so so many but though so did you ever try light as a feather stiff as a board at a sleepover when you were a kid I was I did it a thousand times never worked (laughs) yeah I was too much of a chicken because I was always very um respectful and afraid of those energies I was like I don't know like the one sleepover I remember when there was something even close to that was when someone brought a Ouija board and I was like, I am not screwing around with that energy. Who knows what's going to come through that thing? Um, you know, because like I said, my family was already pretty woo-woo before then. Um, but I was like, I this is not a parlor game. Uh, <laughs> I like, I, I take, you know, and I was like talking to any spirits around. I was like, this isn't me. This is all them. I, <laughs> There's all these like supernatural themed like games. Like I have supernatural clue and supernatural monopoly, but they were selling a supernatural Ouija board. I'm like, no, the entire point of supernatural is that you should not be using a Ouija board. There's been 15 seasons telling you that this is a bad idea. Exactly. Like, you don't know what's, what's responsible on the other side of that yeah I do love that scene I don't think I ever had enough like people willing to do it to sleep over for it to work again that, like that was probably the really fun scene for me like yeah that's where you get to see them actually being friends and like yeah, I wish so there was more of that in this movie I wish this movie was gayer as I do with yeah, most movies I wish that you know why you have a lo- Bonnie doesn't have enough of a story make that a love story with her and Sarah come on yeah. that's my fanfic version well and there is that moment when they're binding their coven and they're they're like having that ritual and they kiss each other and then there's like a kiss on the cheek and then there's one kiss on the mouth and yeah. I was like seeing it now older I was like oh that's some subtext there that's some uh, yeah definitely some like Buffy Faith sort of sexual tension there that I wish there had been more of yeah I was like that would have been really interesting to explore um it's interesting because they're teenagers and that's the time to start exploring all that you know <laughs> in terms of like the magic they do and emulate it's very interesting to me and you maybe can speak to this better than I can that they're in LA and there are no Latino people there there's no like brujeria there's it's very even with Rochelle there it's a very white sort of you know European centric version of magic I'm like why wasn't we're literally not a single latino person in this movie i don't think i know i that was one of the things where i was like oh the 90s like it's like oh be la and let's have it be super white i mean and there'll be one black person and one black person and that's representation um I feel no like, gay people yeah exactly it's like there we go inclusivity um but i i couldn't tell if they were trying to make the magic shopkeeper like Latino or, or you an know, Italian Latino. actress so yeah, so maybe Italian but I was like it's like vaguely not 
white. Yeah. <laughs> She's vaguely European. So like that gives her some authenticity, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know, one of the reasons why I like uh, the show Lucifer, which I know you're also a fan oh of. Oh my god, I like, love that show. Yeah, I'm like it. It's in LA. It's in LA, but um, it actually looks like it's in LA because it has like Latinx cast and different neighborhoods, which are also diverse. It's like, yeah, that is actual LA, not yeah. um, even you know the original charm. It's like we're in San Francisco, and I'm like. <laughs> really but only like white heteros and then like the one reoccurring black cop (laughs) because that that doesn't feel right to san francisco for me (laughs) no yeah i remember like there's like one gay witch and charmed like once like yeah really you're in san francisco come on and again like i lived in san francisco like you have no homeless people (laughs) yeah yeah where where are those charmed um a charmed house is another house that's up there with a practical magic house and oh, places yeah. I would like to live though. Just putting that out there. Absolutely. Both charmed houses. Yeah. Yeah. And like, again, I'm really glad that we've returned to charm now with like now a more diverse cast. Again, I'm really behind. I hope the show is marginally good. <laughs> yes, I, I really loved it. And I, so full disclosure mm-hmm. and I won't go on too long of a tangent, but I liked the reboot I, I, I love it because it's like marginalized identities front and center and Harry their white lighter like his he's the token white boy in the show and I loved right. it so much and all of his white male privilege is like nothing to them like he has to start on the ground level and build up trust with them like yeah. all of his privileges don't work and I actually never really got into the original Charmed um, just because I never really watched it when I was younger because I was trying to be an adult, so I didn't watch things that teens liked, um, unless it was secretly late at night and there was a crack. Um, but so I got into it later, watched a couple seasons in graduate school, and I was like, eh, it's not my thing. Um, but then when I started teaching this class and we were in the middle of the pandemic, I turned back to it and I have developed a deep love for it. <laughs> it's so corny. And the, but like, I say that with love, that the corniness yeah. is comforting. It is so comforting. And the things I really roasted it for when I first watched it, I was like, you know, it's all this white feminism and, you know, tokenizing it. It Sometimes it's like minority of the week and they're either a villain or a bad guy. And I was like, I can't tell with their skimpy outfits if it's empowering or not. And it makes me uncomfortable. You know, I was just like real roasty with it. And then I started watching it in the pandemic and everything I roasted it for, I was like, I also get it like the cheesy late 90s early 2000s like that was such medicine for me (laughs) like it it, it is a very dumb show a lot of the time but I still love it and like the same like like with the craft like there's a lot of flaws to this movie but it meant so much to me and so much to people growing up and and I mean like I always appreciated the legacy of it but I I think it it took so part of it with the pandemic is I was having a hard time connecting with shows and focusing. And this show was like, it felt so far removed from what we were going through. <laughs> and I was like, actually, I, I understand what they're doing here though. And the fact that they put Wiccan culture front and center, even though it doesn't get it all right. Um, even the fashion I started enjoying, like I'm, I'm getting the, the late nineties, early 2000s feminism, you know, there's also some surprisingly progressive story arcs and things they go through so I really learned to love it and it was also seeing it through the lens of the reboot so I could kind of see how 
they play off each other. And I was like, oh, I actually really get it. Um, so, so my history of uh, witches in pop culture as a movie and TV show is like coming back to them later and being like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's turning out to be a trend. Yeah, this is how I'm going to feel when I finally watch American Horror Story Coven because I've not, I've only seen like the first half of an episode of that one and I know it's really influential yeah. and I will definitely get around to it on this show. Um, but yeah, sometimes you come to, sometimes it actually makes you enjoy something more when you see it divorced of the context or even divorced of its fandom yeah. sometimes that can be because you aren't being told how to feel and it's more enjoyable that way sometimes yeah and I, I also realized you know charm is like it's a fun frothy show it's not trying to be too serious about anything oh and, never yeah and and you know the strides it did make in so many ways um is really powerful and so I, I sort of learned to be like okay I'm, I'm actually really into this I'm still have a couple seasons to finish and you know they killed off a major character and added a new one and still went oh, yeah for like what five more seasons I was like that's huge like yeah the show definitely changes when Rose McGowan gets in there and I kind of like it more without Shannon Doherty it takes itself a lot less seriously fun show well, and then you see the, like, the craft. So, like, in the first, like, the pilot episode, and they have the Smith song, and they're... Um, yeah, the song, they, their they're, they're credit song, Charmed, literally a song from the craft soundtrack. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so it's, like, and it's it's a little bit darker, and, you know, tonally, and you can, t- like, definitely tell they're invoking the craft, and they want lovers of the craft to watch this show and then it gets kind of lighter as it goes on it's like eh, maybe we're we're not quite the craft we're something else yeah um, and there was and a I, whole like lawsuit even i don't know if it was lawsuit but there's a lot of like um somebody had sold a pilot i think to cbs or whoever produced it that was like based off the craft and it somehow like got turned into charmed without actually compensating the person and so like it was like a ripoff of char of the craft like directly and in some shitty ways because wow behind the scenes of charmed was not a happy place there was some really horrible people in the production and writing room Um, yeah yeah and like really at the end like Alyssa milano and Holly marie combs were sort of running the show especially on set which is not something that should have been their job yeah i guess so there's a whole yeah. we'll have a whole episode on the crown charmed they reframed it too like because for me it's less it's kind of a monster of the week tv show oh yeah it's about the monster and it's more about the sisters and their dynamic yeah and yeah, like again really would not have supernatural without charmed exactly and i think you know it, it's interesting to hear that it was supposed to be more of a like a the craft the tv show because i think they ended up kind of rectifying a lot of the problems with the craft movie about um you know toxic sisterhoods instead they you know and and i think it's just that charmed has a lot more space and time to explore it but it's like actually how do you when you're close with you know uh, a sister or a found sister how do you work through things how do you work through the heavy stuff the toxic stuff the, the loving stuff um because everyone has a dark side so it's like fun to see how they work through that together um which you never quite get to see of course in the craft but yeah, here's okay again. again i would love a craft legacy tv show or a sequel because i like I get, my main critique is it's in the other episode it's like i wish there would have been like three more hours of that movie because 
it just didn't get deep enough into some of these characters. Oh, I'm sure it will get rebooted sometime soon. Everything's been rebooted. I, um, <laughs> like, like I was, it makes me think of Riverdale, which had Skeet Ulrich on it. And I got to meet him on the set of Riverdale a few years ago. And I was just it was the most starstruck I've ever been. I'm like, oh, I grew up watching The Craft. I love that movie so much. So I just want to tell you, he's very, very nice guy. Oh, very, very handsome. Yeah, how sweet. <laughs> so that was my like brush with fame when it comes to The Craft. Well, and I think one of the things the craft did actually, since you brought that up, is is it spawned this whole subculture of kind of supernatural TV shows and movies where you do find actors kind of circulating through these shows and movies and they develop their own fandom of like, oh my gosh, yeah, you were in the craft or you were in this and now you're, um, you know, like uh, Spike James Marsden from Buffy then was in episodes of Supernatural and then I, I read a lot of urban fantasy and they have their whole monster hunter stories and those all start referencing the TV shows and the movies. And then, so it becomes a really interesting, like interconnected nerdy conversation. Yeah. Everything is fanfic when you get down to it. Exactly. I mean, it's like, there would be no urban fantasy series with, you know, like Dresden files or those sorts of things if it weren't for, you know, Buffy or supernatural, but really if it weren't for the craft. I mean, that was when I think it's a movie that really modernized um, kind of occult things and being interested in it and popularized it for people who weren't already, you know, the weirdos essentially. Yeah, we are the weirdos, mister. That's, and we're an audience who will watch it. And that was sort of an empowering cry for that. And we owe so much to this movie. Well, thank you so much. It's been just wonderful to talk to you. And can you let people listening know where to find you online or find your books or work and how can we support you? So, yes, well, thank you so much. Um, it, it was so wonderful uh, being on here. Like I said, I'm a huge fan of your work and I'm so excited you started this podcast. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's very exciting. Um, so um, people can find me on my website, www.mariadeblasi.com, just my first name and last name altogether.com. Um, and that's where you can find my, uh, yeah, all my books, nonfiction. I'm branching out into fiction as well. Um, getting ready to write some of my own Monster Hunter and, you know, fantasy and witchy stuff. So I'm really excited. Um, so check me out there and you, you can also find all my social media on there as well. So Thank you so much for having Thank me. Thank you. A wonderful conversation. And there we have it. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Maria. I hope you enjoyed it. I definitely enjoyed having it. We'll be back in about two weeks. Well, exactly two weeks with a new episode on New Year's Day. And I'm planning something exciting. I just don't know quite what it will be yet because we have a lot of options. But be assured that it will be in your podcast feed on January 1st. If you want to make sure you get it, please subscribe to this podcast. Make sure you rate and review us and tell all your friends and follow us on Twitter at RealMagicPod. Or you can follow me on Twitter at FangirlingJess or look for my writing on The Mary Sue. You can also find me on some other podcasts and YouTube channels right now. I just did a guest spot over on That Witch Life podcast, one of my favorite witchy podcasts in the world. And I also appeared on the Lilith Dorsey's pop culture show on her YouTube channel. So you can look for that over there. I had a great time doing both of those shows. So it was really fun. 
And as always, remember, you are the weirdo, mister. Have a great holiday. Thanks. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye, Goodbye to life. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye to all that.